The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Psalm 23 is some of the most iconic words in the Bible, let alone the book of Psalms. It's often quoted when we're needy, when we're hurting, when we're in sorrow. So what is King David saying in this psalm, Psalm 23? What's the big idea? What are the memorable ideas in this passage? It's six short verses. It's 57 Hebrew words, 113 depending on the translation you're reading, 227 Hebrew letters. It's iconic. It starts and ends with God's memorial name, God, Yahweh, or Jehovah. Let me pray. Great shepherd of the sheep, would you teach us and guide us and lead us by your Holy Spirit to hear what your word has to say for you and me. Jesus, open our eyes as we explore this text together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin by having us stand and read this. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And the text will be on the screen. We'll read this together. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you. You may be seated. So this psalm is written primarily from the perspective of the sheep. And David, as a king, is giving us information. In this series we've had on the psalms, God is somewhat silent. He's mentioned, but he's not speaking. Or as I like to ask myself, is he really speaking to me? If you have a Bible in front of you, Flip or tap your way to the middle of the Bible, Psalm and Psalm 23. I'd love for you to join with us as we work, a, or work our way through this psalm. So what's the Lord saying to you and me in this psalm? We could spend a, a large portion of our service just on the first verse. I think it's just fascinating what's being said there. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want, or more literally, the Lord, my shepherd, not I lack. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, is the Lord, Yahweh, your shepherd? 
As I've been thinking and meditating on this psalm for the last couple months, I'm fascinated by this phrase. Do I give the Lord control? Do I follow his lead? Do I listen to his voice as his shepherd? Who or what do you and I listen to? Who's the leader of my life? Is it me? Is it my culture? Is it someone or something? When the day is over or when the day is beginning, who or what is leading me? Is the Lord your shepherd? What is a shepherd? Have I surrendered to the chief shepherd? As I said, this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, is really the Lord my shepherd, not I lack. Do you see this connection between the Lord being the shepherd and you and I not lacking? The great shepherd provides and guides you and I in such a way that we would not lack. What are you lacking today? Is it in the area of your health or your finances or a relationship? Character development, spiritual growth, is it healing that you're lacking? What is it, what, this is what it means to listen and to follow and to be guided by the shepherd. Is that true of you? Is it true in me, of me? Now, before I continue, I thought it would be interesting for you to hear my story about how I met the chief shepherd. I was religious growing up, religious in the sense that every Sunday morning we went to church at 8 o'clock. My parents didn't actually say these words, but they basically said, go and you will like it. Well, I went. When I was a junior in high school, I no longer was required to go to church. That's another story. So I went to Sunday school because I thought it would be nice for my parents and they served refreshments, had some nice topics. When I got to college as a freshman, I said, I'm not going to church because it's really not worth my effort. Actually, I went, and there were a bunch of old people, and they were talking about things that made no sense to me, so I didn't go. What is interesting, though, is that I met a friend who lived next door to me in the dorm named Bill. And Bill had a relationship with God that I knew I didn't have. Bill began to talk to me about what it meant to know Christ personally and how God had changed his life. And it was reflective in his life. The way he studied, the way he related to other people, his girlfriend, the way he competed as an athlete, God was doing significant things in Bill's life. Bill did love to talk, and so I was able to listen to Bill and what he had to say to me often. But it came down to a decision do I know this person, Jesus, that my friend Bill says he knows? So one night in my dorm room, just a month from 50 years ago, in September of 1973, I said to God, God, if you're out there and if I can know you the way my friend Bill says I can know you, that's what I want. Now, I somewhat expected something dramatic to happen. Angels ricocheting off the walls, the stereo to come on and play the Hell You Chorus, something dramatic. I didn't feel anything, I didn't see anything, I didn't hear anything. So I thought, well, maybe this is just something that Bill's talking about, it makes no difference. 
A week later, two other friends, another Dave and a guy named Ken, went through a small booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws with Me. And as they explained things, it made a lot of sense to what I had said to God just a week before. And at one point they said, Dave, have you ever made this commitment to Christ? And I said, well, I think I did about a week ago. Well, they were all excited, like all excited. And Dave said, well, we should just pray and thank God that Jesus is in your life. So Dave prayed, and Ken prayed, and it was this Dave's turn to pray next. Now, the only prayer it ever prayed was a prayer at dinner, the same memorized prayer that we said every night. That's the only time I'd ever prayed out loud. And now I was expected to pray. And now for the first time, as I opened my mouth, it was as if God gave me thoughts and words to pray back to him. And for the first time, it was like, wow, this is real. They gave me a copy of the New Testament, good news for modern man, if you know that. And I could not put it down. It was so alive to me. And over the next six months, year, year and a half, God began to change my life from the inside out. The way I thought about people, the way I related to my parents, the way I related to the, how I studied, how I studied, the way I competed as an athlete, God was changing my life. And even though that was numerous years ago, almost 50, God's still in the process of changing my life. There's areas in my life that I continue to need Christ, the good shepherd, to change in my life. Areas like anger, volume of my voice, other character qualities that I need to work on. The question for you and me is, or the question for you is, do you know Christ the same way that I came to know Christ as a freshman in college? Okay, action point for today. I would encourage every one of us to memorize Psalm 23. Now, here's how you do this. You take a pen, pencil will also work, a piece of paper, doesn't have to be very big, and write out the words to Psalm 23 every day for seven to 10 days, and you will have this memorized. It takes six minutes, I've timed myself, okay? Do you have six minutes? Or you could begin to write this out. Write the words out every day and you will have it memorized. What a great application tool. And one other thing, James is still king. What do I mean by James is still king? Well, this is a phrase that a friend of mine, a Hebrew professor at Reform Seminary in Florida says, because the James is the king James. Now, most English translations that you have today follow the King James translation. We have it in front of us here, if you're interested in checking it out, compare it to your translation. The problem is, <laughs> there are some words that are missed, that are said that we really should say it a different way, and we'll talk about a number of those words as we go through today. So, David was a shepherd. It's been said that shepherds or sheep herders were despised. They were looked down upon. Often the youngest child or a girl held this position in the family. It's very interesting that David was the youngest child. 
and he was the shepherd for the family. But as a result, David knew how to care for and to lead sheep. He knew the ways of the shepherd. He knew the ways of the sheep. It's also interesting that the Sumerian, Sumerian kings used the shepherd, shepherd imagery to dis, describe themselves and display themselves. And Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd in John 10. Now, one of the most fascinating books on this topic is called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. It's a fascinating book, $6 used. Uh, it's a great read if you need something to read as you finish out the summer, I would encourage you. There's some great things in that. So, sheep, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep require more attention and care than any other uh, class of livestock. The shepherd needs to provide for the sheep. He needs to provide green, shep, uh, green pastures, water that's calm and restful. Now, the imagery we have as Westerners is that this is a lush green pasture. Lush. That's probably not what David had in mind. Because he lived in Bethlehem near the Negev, which is this area of the desert. It was and still is dry, semi-arid, part of Palestine. The shepherd needed to find places that would have grass, pasture, for the sheep and enough water for them to drink. Now, the Hebrew word for lie down is actually crouch down or hunker down. And you can imagine a sheep walking along a path, kind of hunkering down and enjoying the green grass as he walked along. The shepherd also needed to make it possible for the sheep to be free from fear, from friction, from pests or hunger. And as a result, the shepherd needed to be near the sheep, with the sheep, and very attentive. We'll talk about this in a little bit as well. Keller says in his book that, generally speaking, water for the sheep came from three main sources. Dew on the grass, but also deep wells and streams and springs. The literal phrase is, leave me beside, not quiet waters, but restful waters. John says, that Jesus says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So the question that I'm asking myself, and maybe you could ask yourself is, am I drinking deeply from the refreshing waters that God supplies? Do you have a practice of being refreshed by Jesus? Do you rest in Jesus? We'll come back to the pasture in just a minute. He restores my soul. See, we're not getting very far in this psalm. He restores my soul. The Hebrew word is the word shuv, very famous word for return or restore. He will restore or return my soul. Now, this is a very interesting situation with sheep. There is a situation with sheep that's very common to sheep, but not true for many other uh, pieces of livestock. It's the idea of being cast or cast down. If a sheep is pregnant, a ewe lamb is pregnant, 
and they decide to roll on their side, often the center of gravity happens and they flip up on their back and their legs are like in the air, okay? Or if a sheep is heavy with wool, very full wool, it lies down, it can flip over. This is called being cast or cast down. The problem is, <laughs> if they're not turned back upside, uh, right side up, if they're not returned to their right way, they will die quickly, especially if it's hot. In a few hours, actually. So the shepherd needs to be attentive to the sheep, needs to be with the sheep, so that he can know what's happening and aware of what's happening with the sheep. <clears throat> it's interesting that uh, Jesus makes reference to this in Matthew 9. I think we have the verses here. When uh, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Some translations say downcast or cast down. Because they were sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Just Does Jesus restore your soul when you're hurting and upside down? Jesus also said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He leads me in paths of righteousness. There's another situation here where we need a little bit more help. I listened to a rabbi describe this. He says, this is better translated, he leads me in curious paths. What does that mean? These are paths that go around the mountain. The best way to the top is not straight to the top. The best way is around. And God provides grass along the way. Little tufts of grass. I just picked this like two days ago. It's not looking very healthy. Every little path has little bits of grass. And as one commentator said, God gives us just enough to satisfy us until we find the next patch of green grass. A switchback is another way of describing this. So, the chief shepherd says that he will provide just enough for what we need. His path is often longer, but it's perfect. And if we listen and walk on his path, his paths of righteousness for his glory will know that we're in his will. Are you on that path? Uh, there are some of the paths that go around. I looked and looked and looked, and there's not very many images, but that's a path. Okay. Uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, <clears throat> better translated, dark shadows. If you know anything about valleys and mountains, it's often dark because it's a valley. And as a result, there are dangers as you walk to the top of the mountain up through the valley. Many paths are up through <clears throat> the valley to get to the top or the mesa. 
The mesa is the table or the tabletop, and we'll get to that in just a minute. There's lots of dangers in the valley, but if the shepherd is with the sheep, leading the sheep, the shepherd says, fear not. The psalmist says, I will fear no evil. I will feel, feel, fear no harm. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I did a little experimenting this week with the rod and the staff. And as I like to say to other people, I'll say to myself, Dave, don't quit your day job. Uh, the staff was used to kind of encourage the sheep. You just put it on the side of the sheep and you kind of push them around. You encourage them with the staff. This is a really horrible illustration of a staff. And the rod, I had a little bit more fun with the rod. The rod is made from the end of the tree right by the root. It's symbolizing authority and power. Uh, it's used to uh, club things that come your way. If there are predators that are coming your way, it can also get a sheep's attention by throwing it, which I won't do today. Uh, but you can see, uh, my good friend Andy asked if we could use the rod on the child, but we won't get into that. That's a different scripture, so we'll, you'll have to work on that on your own. But the rod is a fascinating illustration of what David is talking about. And David says of these, the rod and thy staff... They comfort me. Authority and care. Now, it's interesting. There's an image of a pharaoh here. You'll notice he has a staff, and he has what's called a rod. It has some dangles on it, but he has both care and authority. So even the pharaoh used this shepherd imagery as he described himself. We don't think of it that way, but it's fascinating What's being said there? You prepare a table before me. Now there's good debate here on this passage as far as what exactly is being said in this passage. Does David shift from the shepherd imagery to some other imagery? I like Philip Keller's idea that we stick with the sheep and the table is the mesa. It's the top. It's when you get to the summer pasture with the sheep. And there in the summertime, there is uh, more to eat. There's been more rain. Uh, it's a great place for the shepherd to get to at the top of the valley, which leads to the next phrase, he anoints my head with oil. During the summertime, one of the worst things that can happen with sheep is they get harassed by bugs, by flies, by disease. And one of the best ways to cure a sheep or keep a sheep from being infested by these pesty flies is by oiling their nose and their head with olive oil and another mixture, as Keller says. There's another interesting connection. He anoints my head with oil. The Messiah is the anointed one. Jesus Christ is a title meaning the anointed one. So I think David might have been thinking about the Messiah in this situation. 
by referring to the oil anointing the head. My cup overflows, better my cup is satisfying. Have you found a place in life where you're satisfied in the care of the great shepherd? And nearly the end, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, actually chase after me. If you were listening and singing before, there was a song that we sang that says, your goodness is chasing after me. That's the imagery here of the goodness and the mercy, the hesed, the loyal love of God is chasing after me. What a wonderful imagery that we have. Well, as you think and reflect on this psalm, I hope that you would memorize it, but maybe not just read it and reflect on it. Do you see God as your shepherd? What is he saying to you in this psalm? Is God present but silent? What is God saying to you and to me? After the service, I'm available. If you heard something that I had to say, I'll be here if you'd be interested in interacting. If not, that's fine as well. I have one last application for you and me. If Christ is my shepherd and your shepherd, and I lack not, this means I've totally surrendered to him. This was another idea that I was challenged with in February of my freshman year in college. And the illustration was this. Open hands before God. Now, what I like to do is to say, what is it that's of great value in my life? And I like to place some things into my hand. Here's my car keys. Here's my house keys. Here's my phone, representing work, communication, relationships. I don't have big enough hands here. Uh, my wallet, my finances. Uh, I would take my ring off, but I'm not able because it's kind of been there for a long time. Uh, but if I could, I would. My most dear relationships are represented in my ring. So would you hold your hands open? If you have something you'd like to place in your hands, you could do that. And I'm going to give you 20 seconds to pray, and then I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to explore what your word has to say in this psalm. Father, as we think about surrender, as we think about giving our lives to you completely, would you lead and guide us as we work out our salvation, as we continue to surrender all to you? And Father, even as we sing this last song, would you use these words to encourage us to give everything that we have to you. And we pray in the name of our great shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd, 
who loved us and sacrificed his son on the cross for you and me. In his name we pray, amen.